there was ever a time to just fully embrace the awesome gift that we have of life, I think it would be right now coming out of the last 12 months that we just experienced. And we're kind of spoiled here in Georgia. We're kind of spoiled here at Action Church. I think we were the last church to stop having services. We were the first church to start having services. You guys didn't do a really good job when we told you we weren't having services and you just kept showing up every Sunday to the point that we had to pre-record the services and not tell you when they were happening. But it's weird to think last Easter, we didn't gather together as a church family. I think it was the following week that we were able to start meeting again. And life is one of those things that you almost take it for granted until it gets taken from you. The freedom to live life. The fact that we get to get up every day and experience this awesome gift. And we never know how long we have this gift of life. And yet we live so much of our life wasting it. I had someone tell me this week I was in a discussion with someone and they told me something and it was something that I had never heard anybody say before. And it made me wonder, man, do a lot of people have this mindset? And I'm not trying to throw an intimate conversation under the bus, so it's not important who I was having it with. But someone looked at me and they said, I believe most people live their life overall unhappy. And I was floored by that comment because I don't understand that comment. I can't grasp that comment I can't comprehend that comment. Man, I am a lover of life. Let me tell you what that means. That means when life is good, I love life. And it means when life sucks, and I have been through some sucky things in life, I love life. The fact that I get to get up in the morning and not know what's going to take place that day and to know the creator of the universe is gone before me. He says in Isaiah, I go before you and I make the crooked places straight. Though I don't know where we're headed, to know God knows where we're headed. To me, life is the ultimate adventure. And we ought to cherish life. And if there's any scripture in all the Bible that exemplify the, the power of life, I mean, good Lord, it's Easter. Jesus gave his life, conquered death, rose from the grave, so we can experience life. Think about that for a second. He died so we can live. And yet we waste the gift of life. We let circumstances dictate if we enjoy life. We let finances dictate whether we enjoy life. We let relationships dictate whether we enjoy life. Instead of just getting up and living life to the fullest. Because here's the thing about life. There are no do-overs. There's no going back in time and rehashing it. The most valuable thing that I have is time. It's the one thing that if I lose it, I can't get it back. It doesn't matter how much money you have, no one has figured out how to get time back. It's so valuable, it's so precious. 
and yet we waste it. And I love that Easter is all about Jesus conquering death and giving us life. And the irony of it to me is I love that it's all about life, yet the Easter story starts in a graveyard. That's fascinating to me. It's ironic to me. In a place of death is where the greatest life took place. Christine and I just got back from a quick getaway to Savannah. How many of you have ever been to downtown Savannah? Downtown Savannah is awesome. But downtown Savannah, one of the coolest things that it has is it has some of the coolest cemeteries you've ever seen in your life. They're amazing. There's so much history there, so many stories there, and the, and the ghost stories, and, and the, um, just the, the American history found in those graveyards. And I've always been intrigued, and, and, and graveyards are an interesting thing. They're a place of death, but they're a place of beauty. And, and one of the things that I find amazing to me about graveyards is the gravestones. Because no matter how big they are, or no matter how small they are, No matter how elaborate they are, when you go to Savannah, man, there are some elaborate tombstones. The entire life of whoever's buried there is represented with three things. I mean, there might be a cute saying. There might be a list of what they are, husband, father, dad. There might be a motto on there. There might even be a picture of the deceased on there. But every tombstone has three things. It has a date you were born, a date the person dies, and then in between the date you were born and the date that you die, there's this little bitty thing that if you're not real careful, you'll miss it, and it's called the dash. Just a little line. It it almost reminds us of how insignificant we are. The Bible says in James, life is but a vapor, comes and it goes. Everything we accomplish, my 45th birthday was yesterday. That means half of my life is probably over. And everything that I have accomplished and everything I have done and everything I have screwed up and everybody I've hurt and everybody I've helped and everything I've done in 45 years, if I was to die today, would be summed up very simply in a dash. <laughs> the story of life literally comes down to a dash. And what you do or what you don't do in this life will be described in that dash. Everything you achieve, the good, the bad, the ugly, it comes down to that dash. Let, let's check out the first Easter morning, if you will. The Bible says in Matthew 28, after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Jesus has given his life on the cross. They mocked him. They spit him. They beat him. He said, Father, forgive them. They know what they do. And into thy hands I commit myself. He took his last breath, and now he's in the tomb. And as was custom in this day, they would go and tend to the body in the tomb to make sure it was taken care of that the, the wrapping around it was clean and the right incense were there to, to make sure as the body began the deterioration process that everything went in a way that honored those who had deceased. And so that's what they're doing. Three days later, it's Sunday, and they're headed to the tomb. They went to look at the tomb. 
as they were on their way there, there was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone and then sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. That's some smart guards. I'm from the country, I'm from the Cuba. We call that playing possum. An angel shows up, rolls away the tomb. I don't know a lot about angels. In my mind, the angel's going to kill me. I'm going to get ahead of that and just act like I'm dead. Boom. Smart, smart guards. The angel said to the women, because as you can imagine, these women show up. They're there to go to the tomb to take care of the body. They expected I had to ask the guards to roll away the tomb. I mean, to roll away the stone to be able to get into the tomb. They show up, the guards are playing dead, the stone's rolled away. And like a pimp, the angel's just sitting on top of the stone like, do not be afraid. For I know that you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. The greatest verse of victory in all the Bible, verse 6. He is not here. He is risen. And then I like how the angel just throws a little zinger in there. Just as he said. Like, don't look surprised. Don't look shocked. You followed him around for three years. He told you this was going to happen. You just didn't believe it. It's kind of like when you have to whip your kids or punish your kids. You tell them not to do something, they do it. And then they look like they're shocked that you punished them. You told them what was going to happen. Don't act surprised. For he is not here to say, come and see the place where he lay. This is not your normal graveyard scene. But it's the reason we celebrate today. And the reason we can have life today. He's alive. And because he's alive, you and I can live life fully alive. That's amazing. Yet it literally blows my mind to watch people blow life. To waste life. People have wasted years of their life over a grudge. Years over their life over something bad happening to them. And oh, by the way, I get bad things happen. It doesn't make you special. (laughs) It makes you human. But every day, we get to get up and experience life. Arenas said, the glory of God is a man fully alive. Meaning you never see the glory of God and give God the honor that he is due as a man who's living life to the fullest. We're starting a new series today, very simply called Live Life. Because life is so important, life is so vital. And the premise of the series is real, real easy. You got one shot at it. Why would you not maximize every moment? Why would you not take the risk? Why would you not be willing to lay it all out on the line? You've got one chance. Once the second day is added to the gravestone, there's no coming back. 
Everything you accomplish, everything you do, every impact you make gets summed up in a dash. Here's what you need to know today before we go any further. God created you. God doesn't make mistakes. God loves you. You might not love yourself, but God loves you. You might not feel loved by those closest to you, but the creator of the universe loves you. But Gary, you don't, I, I don't care what you did. What you did is not between you and me. Even if what you did is to me. Between you and God, and God loves you. Not only did God create you, not only does God love you, here's the greatest part to me. Listen, listen, listen. God has a plan for your life. Every single one of you today. You were not a surprise. You might have been a surprise to mommy and daddy as they were making out at lover's point and jumped in the back seat of the car. Boom, whoops, here you are. You didn't surprise God. God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make mess ups. You say, Gary, you don't know what I've been through. God does. And God will take that mess and it'll be your greatest ministry. God will use you. God has a plan for you. He conquered death. He rose from the grave. So we could be difference makers in this world. The Bible says in John 10, he says, I have come so that they may have real and eternal life. And a better life than they ever dreamed of. Think about that for a minute. God says he came so you can live life better than you ever imagined. Now the problem is we live in a society today who defines success in a very weird way. Success is defined by how much money you have in the bank. And there's nothing wrong with having money in the bank. Big fan of money in the bank. My bill collectors are big fans of money in the bank. We define success by how big our house is or how fast the cars are. Or we define success by our toys and our possessions. And that's not success. And again, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Success, though, in a relative is different for every person based on what you want out of life. And God says, whatever you want out of life, I want to take it whole another level. He said, I'm talking about a greater life than you could ever imagine. He said, I'm talking about a greater marriage than you could ever imagine. I'm talking about a greater peace than you could ever imagine. A greater contentment than you could ever imagine. Greater relationships than you could ever imagine. A greater career than you could ever imagine. A greater purpose than you could ever imagine. I don't know about you, but I got a pretty vivid imagination. I can dream some big things. And God says, man, I laugh at your dreams. He said, I want to give you life more than you could ever experience. But here's the problem. So many of you are wasting it. It's pitiful. I would almost say it's the mindset of a loser, but I don't even want to do that because it breaks my heart so bad that you're doing it. It's heartbreaking to know we're wasting this life. And I thought about this series, and I've kind of taught on this subject a lot before, but I'm so passionate about it. 
that I thought there was ever a time to come back, rework it, and redo it. It was a time right, right now because we just came out of that year of so many of us not living life. I actually saw a guy that I follow on Facebook last night. I guess he goes to a larger church, and so to get everybody in for the weekend, they had Saturday services. And it was their first weekend back having services. And he said, went to church today for the first time in 13 months. He said it was weird, though. They wouldn't let us sing. We had to sit every three seats. We had to wear a mask. So he said, he wasn't being political. He wasn't being, he was just telling you his experience. He said, it almost felt like death instead of life. And I can't help but wonder if the enemy sits back and smiles as he takes away this amazing thing called life from us, when God emphasizes so much the power of living life. We were created for relationships. We were not created to do life alone. We were created to make the most of this life. And if there was ever a time in life where I think that we could grasp that or or understand that or appreciate that better, it's right now. And I think if there's ever a time for people to be more open right now to living life, I don't don't know why maybe you feel that way. It's amazing. So many people have got the vaccine and they're like, man, I'm ready to live. Awesome. If that's what it took for you to get ready to live, awesome. So many of you are like, man, I never stopped living. Awesome. So many of you are like, man, I've had it. I I feel safe. I don't care. I'm not getting the end of the reason because I don't really care. My point is, I see people ready to live. Look around. There's a room full of people here today ready to live. I'm in the event business. I see attendance going up in the event business. Why? Because people are ready to live. But the question becomes, how are we going to live? Are we going to go back to the way it always was and go through the motions and live our life because most people live life unhappy? Are we going to go back to a career that we can't stand, to make money we don't need, to buy things we don't need, to impress people that we don't even like in the first place? Are we going to go back and continue to go through the motions in our marriage? Are we going to go back to continuing to neglecting our children? Are we going to go back to living for ourselves? Are we going to go back to living a life that makes an impact? The dash, it's so vital. I I think there's four areas that we need to look at as we begin to live life and we're going to cover these over the next month the first thing we got to do is we got to live passionately we got to live passionately i'm going to talk about this today i'm going to talk about how we take life by the, the testicles for you pickens county folks that's balls We're going to live passionately. We're going to love completely. Man, I am convinced that if we could ever learn to truly love, we'd change the world, and we don't live in a world full of love anymore. We'll talk about that next week. We're going to talk about how we learn from the past. Notice I didn't say how we're going to live in the past. Hello? Hello? That's the problem with so many of you. You live in the past. Instead of learning from the past. Last week of the series, we're going to talk about how we leave a legacy. Because when that last date gets added to the tombstone, what is the legacy that we've left? (laughs) 
First thing I want you to know is to truly live life, to truly go after that one shot in life that we have. You've got to live passionately. You've got to live passionately. If you're going to make the most of living life, if you're going to make the most of this amazing gift, and again, I'm telling you today, it's a gift. How many of you, and I, I don't want to get emotional today, and I, don't, and I don't want to upset people, but how many of you over the last year, because all that was going on, you maybe lost someone that was close to you? How many? Put your hands up, put your hands up. Friend, a family member, lots of you. It's a rough year for people. If we're going to make the most of it, we've got to live passionately. Let me make this very clear to you. Nothing great ever happens without passion. The driving force behind greatness is not knowledge, it's passion. The driving force behind all great art, all great music, all great literature, all great drama, all great architecture, whatever it is, is passion. Passion is what makes things great. Passion is what propels athletes to break records. Passion is what pushes scientists to discover new cures for diseases. Passion is what gives us life, the kind of life you were made to live. How we're going to make the most of our life and how we're going to live life, we have to live passionately. And most of us don't. Man, some of you, I, I wonder, I have to feel like i got to go up to you and check your pulse. I have more fun asleep than most people have awake. Man, I love life. You say, Gary, do you ever get down? Yeah, I get down. Yeah, I go through funks. I don't stay there, though, because life's awesome. The Bible says this in Mark 12, 30. Love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, with all your strength. He's saying, this is the greatest commandment. God wants you to love him with everything that you are, your mental, your physical, your emotional. The message translates it this way. Love the Lord God with all your passion, your prayer, your intelligence, your energy. Everybody here today was created with passion. Let me make something clear to you today. Having passion for life has nothing to do with being an extrovert or an introvert. Has nothing to do with being loud Always smiling. Someone says, well, I'm not wired the way you are. That has nothing to do with passion. It has nothing to do with it. It has to do with feeling something so deeply. Having something that literally makes your heart, heart leap. It makes you get out of bed in the morning because you know that's what you were created for and you're going to lay it all out on the line for that. That's passion. Romans 12, 11 says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So don't, don't lack the zeal. Keep working at it. That word keep, to me, is an important word because it implies that if you're not careful, you can lose it. You ever met someone and they were passionate about something and the passion goes away? So many times that's because we're passionate about the wrong things. You ever met someone who's passionate about something and it goes away and it's lost their zeal because they didn't work to keep it? 
God created us with passion. You don't believe that? Go watch a kid run around this church. We call it energy. I call it passion. He's just energetic. No, he's just un, he's untamed passion. We haven't taught him that that's improper yet. It's no wonder people lose passion because we teach the kids growing up to be safe and to be tame and how we should act. We educate them so much that there's no passion that they live by anymore. We civilize them. Happens in churches all over the country. Pastors go to cemeteries, I mean seminaries, all over. You say you're anti-Bible college? No, no, I have a doctorate degree. I'm not anti it at all. Yes, you heard that right. From now on, you will refer to me as Dr. Lamb. You say, really? I said, yeah, it's worth. Christine, I think we were together almost three years, and she was unpacking a box one day, and she said, what is this? I said, oh, that's my doctorate degree. She said, this ought to be hanging on the wall. I said, why? It's worthless. I learned how not to pastor going there. Let me tell you something. I love you. They don't teach you anything in cemetery, seminary about pastor in Action Church. It just doesn't exist. They never taught bust into a crack house 101 in cemetery, seminary. I'm not even trying to be funny now. It's just what I automatically call it. You've got to be passionate. Howard Truman said, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who've come alive. We need to live passionately. My favorite story, one of my favorite stories in all the Bible is found in Luke. Look what the Bible says about these dudes, man. And they got a friend and their friends in need. And these guys are passionate about getting him help. The Bible says in Luke 5, 18, some men were carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. So there's these guys and they're carrying their buddy on a mat. He's paralyzed. And they tried to take him to the house to lay him before Jesus. They said, we heard about this guy named Jesus. We got to get our friend to Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they got there. There were so many people around Jesus. Man, when Jesus is in the house, the crowd would be big. They couldn't get him to him. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they turned around and they went home. Mm-mm. That's what we do. That's what people who think, man, most people in life are unhappy would do. I tried. These are some redneck boys, though. I know what happened. I can picture it. When they could not find a way to cause this, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Don't tell me. Don't tell me these weren't redneck boys. Don't tell me they didn't crack open a Bud Light and say, huh, what are we going to do? We here? I bet I could get on that roof. Hold my beer. They didn't think what was next, so they got on the roof, and they're like, what's next? He's down. I guess we're going to cut a hole in the roof. It ain't our house. I guess we're going to cut a hole in the roof. They cut a hole in the roof, and they dropped him down before Jesus. And look, the Bible says, I love this. Verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith. Not the guy on the mat's faith. Their faith. <laughs> Friend, your sins are forgiven. 
when he saw their faith, when he saw their passion, when he saw their zeal. Don't say he got mad they cut a hole in the roof. It wasn't Jesus' house anyway. The Bible says he didn't have no place to lay his head. <laughs> He's like, ah, sucker. Man. Goes on in verse 24. But I want you to know the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. And they were foot on and said, we have seen remarkable things today. I love that last verse. We have seen remarkable things. When was the last time you looked at your life and said, man, I see remarkable things? The reality is you see them every day. You're just too hardened to acknowledge them. You're too miserable to acknowledge them. You're too too busy wallowing in self-pity. Crap happens. Problem is some of you lay in your crap. And, And you get to the point, it's funny, Anytime someone hasn't been to church in a while. So right behind our church is a sod field. And with any sod field, we've been here almost nine years now. They lay out chicken crap all over the sod. Chicken crap smells. People are like, what's that smell? It's the same smell for nine years. The funny thing is it's been nine years. I work down here almost every day. I don't smell it anymore. That's what happens when you're around crap all the time. Hmm. You, know, you don't smell the crap anymore. It's Easter, so I'm being good and saying crap. Don't expect that next week. I just love this passage. I love the focus and the determination, the intentionality of these passionate people. Nothing was going to stop them from living the life they were created for. I've seen remarkable things. Love that, man. I want to live a life where I see remarkable things every day. It's funny, they're here, and this is actually in my sermon notes. I didn't know they were coming today. So we had a Guardians of the Jukebox concert two weeks ago. My boy down here made some fried chicken. I've talked about that fried chicken for two weeks to the point that someone said, it's fried chicken. I said, but you didn't have this fried chicken. Like this fried chicken, like it was a big old thing. It was a little nugget size. You could pop it like it was candy. It was good. If nothing else went right that day, that fried chicken was a whole nother level. That's where we need to get to in life, where we're seeing the remarkable things. Life is full. I'm married. I love my wife. Man, I got the greatest wife in the world. And she, on a scale of, if 10 was perfection, she's a 9.9. But the point one is this. She don't know how to cook Southern. There ain't no fried chicken in the lamb kitchen. Country fried steak, mashed potatoes. Man, it was good. But that's where we had to get to. We're just we're surrounded by remarkable things all the time. Just enjoying life. And live passionately. When you're living without a care in the world, you, you appreciate everything. I mean, wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it be remarkable if all of us by the end of every day would say, man, I've seen some remarkable things today. It was amazing. We're going to have that same kind of passion these guys did. I mean, these dudes were trying to get their friend to Jesus, but they ran into a problem. Life's going to be full of problems. Accept it. 
If you're trying to live a problem-free life, then stop living. Because it's not going to happen. There's no perfect husband, ladies. Say amen. Man, you don't say amen, but there's no perfect wife. There's no perfect job. Someone said today, man, it must be great working for yourself. I said, it's awesome, but the ball sucks. No perfect life. There's just life. And life, do not miss this. Life is what you decide to make it. There's not happiness in security. I just want security. What is security? We learned a year ago there's no security. How many people lost their secure jobs? How many of you back in what, 08 lost your retirement? No security? If that's what you're looking for, happiness, you're going to find yourself lacking. There's no security. There's no peace. I, I, ju- I just want peace. You make that peace. You don't understand the thing? Then get away from the things in your life that don't bring you peace. It's amazing. It's called boundaries. There were so many people around Jesus. They could have turned around. Life gets crowded. but we can still live the life we were created for. Very simple principles I see here we're going to put in, to live the passionate life that we're created for. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to do something drastic. Verse 19, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up to the roof, lowered them on his mat, threw the towels in the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. That's drastic. Think about it. They were trying to get their friend to Jesus. I'm not trying to minimize it. It's fun to make fun of it. It's fun to laugh about it, but the reality is they climbed up on the roof. It was not their house. See, how do you know that? Because the Bible says they brought the man to the house. Had it been their house, it wouldn't have mattered to the crowd. Their friend was in need. They could have turned around. They could have waited and hoped that the crowd died out. They could have said, man, we'll catch him next time. That ain't how we roll in the south, though. They said, we're getting up on the roof. We're going to climb on the roof. We're going to cut a hole in the roof. And we're just going to drop him right down there, bam. And see what Jesus does. That's drastic. If you're going to live a life of passion, you're going to have to make some drastic lifestyle changes. I'm not talking about altering your life a little. I'm talking about doing what is necessary to live life on point. Because if you keep doing what you've been doing, you keep getting what you've been getting. I don't understand why my life's so miserable. Because you keep doing the same stuff. You don't even realize you're miserable. You become comfortable in your discomfort. Everyone else sees how miserable you are. You are miserable. And you're like, this is just life. No, it's not. God, life's a gift. It's amazing. I want to challenge you to ask every day yourself a drastic question. I really want you to get to the roof right here. Here's the question. If you knew you only had 30 days to live, if you knew the last 30 days on this earth were your last 30 days, how would you live? What would you do? What would you place an emphasis on? What would be important to you? 
That question is a game-changing question. And the reality is you don't know if you've got 30 days. You're not promised tomorrow, the Bible says. So get busy living or get busy dying. What's the drastic thing you need to do? Maybe it's time to quit that job and go chase that dream you've always had. But, but Gary, I, 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 get, I get all the butts. Maybe it's time to start pouring into your marriage like you should have been pouring into it all along and get it back to what it should be. I, I don't know what it is today. But you do. What's the drastic decision you've got to make? But Gary, what if it doesn't work? It doesn't work. You know the amazing thing about failure? It's not fatal. It happens. Gary Lamb, king of failing. You know how many events I've done that we didn't make a dime? You know how many events we've done where I lost money? Who cares? They can get blood from a turnip. What are they going to do? What's the worst that happens? Worst happens, I always say, what's the worst? Christine, I said, what's the worst that happens? Worst happens, we lose everything. We have to go live in a one-bedroom apartment. Cool. I'd rather live in a one-bedroom apartment and take this chance than to live in this house and always wonder, man, could I have done that? I'm not doing it. Some of you have chosen safety over passion. It's a game-changing question. We're going to expect the unexpected. I wish I could tell you that when you had the testicular fortitude to step out on your own and chase your dream, that it will be smooth sailing. All you've got to do is step out. It's wonderful. No. No. The biggest lie that preachers preach, and you've heard me say this before, the biggest preacher that, the lie that preachers say is they say, hey, the easiest place in the world is the will of God. No. The most dangerous place in the world is the will of God. You think Daniel thought it was easy when he got thrown in the lion's den? You think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thought, man, this is so great where they got thrown in the fire. Now make no mistake about it, the will of God is the safest place because God is always with us. There's nothing easy about it. Jesus hung on a cross. And died for the sins of the world. He stressed so much over it that he literally sweated drops of blood. Don't tell me it's easy. It's safe. But you might lose everything in the process. Sometimes you got to lose it all to gain it all. You prioritize your life based on what's important. You plan. You come up with the plan. I can make some good plans. And then the plan don't work. Life interrupts you. There will always be things in life that are crazy, that are hectic. That's when you have to lighten up and just say to God, man, hey, I give it to you. You know what I've learned is life happens in the interruptions. You want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. That's our problem. We plan ourselves. We, we need to expect the unexpected. <laughs> These guys had a plan. The plan was we're carrying him to Jesus. Yet they knew God was still in control. 
The plan's not going like we thought, but guess what? Jesus is still the answer. We got to get him to Jesus. We thought we were going to waltz right up, and we can't. But we got to get him to Jesus. We're going to climb up on the roof. We're going to lower him and get him before Jesus. The answer's always Jesus. You might lose everything. Plan A might become plan B. We talked about that the last series. But plan B with Jesus is better than plan A on your own. Verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, their faith. They were expecting Jesus to heal him. Jesus was so impressed. I, I, I believe God's waiting to reward your audacity. See, the problem with so many of us is we want all the answers before we step out. Then why do we need faith? If I know all the answers before I step out, I don't need God involved. Faith is just taking the next step, knowing that when you take the next step, the next step will be revealed. Literally, I brought someone on one of my team for an event recently, and they're like, man, this is crazy. I said, I know you got a plan. I said, uh-uh. I don't have a plan. We're just going to figure it out along the way. And we figured it out along the way. Totally unexpected things are going to happen. And we need to learn to receive the unexpected. Because Jesus knew what was best for them. He knew the man needed spiritual healing, which is why he forgave him of his sins. Before he needed physical healing. We have to come to the place in life where we make our plans. We decide what's important. We prioritize. But when life interrupts, we say to God, man, hey, you're in control. Life's not always going to go as planned. And when it doesn't go as planned, you can focus on all the negative aspects. Well, this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened. Instead of the positive aspects, but this happened and this happened and this happened and this, this, and this is going to lead to this, this, and this. And it's all going to come together because God's in control. We love to toot the God horn when it goes the way we want it to go. But he's still God when it goes the exact opposite of how we anticipated it going. Man, the problem is you really have no faith in God. It sounds great, especially in the South. Say we have faith in God and Jesus. We really just wear Jesus as a uh, tradition. I'm, I'm not trying to hurt some of your feelings. Some of you are here today because it's Easter, and that's a tradition. And I'm glad you're here. It's not about the tradition, though. It's about the relationship. And when you trust God, you trust God even when you don't know what's about to happen. It looked like a problem. Can't get him to Jesus. We just saw a problem. They saw an opportunity. Climb up on that roof and have a story to tell. If they'd have got their friend to Jesus, that'd have been cool. And they'd have told everybody, man, Jesus healed our friend. But now they got a story. How many of you ever been around a storyteller? How many of you ever been around me? How many of you ever been around Rick Cope? Rick Cope can take a 15 second story. 
and turn it into a 15-minute story. Rick can take a story. If I, man, the story can be I took a left out of this parking lot. And the story's going to be like, man, I walked out of the parking lot. It was a sunny day. I didn't know how it was going to happen because as it was sunny, the snow started coming down. I was like, man, is my truck going to start? And you're going to find this funny, man. I put my key in that truck and I turned that. And man, next thing you know, and then I put the car in reverse and I backed out of that space. When I backed out of the face, there was a little Spanish guy on the bike and I almost hit him. I put the car back in park. I got to say, man, are you okay? But I didn't speak Spanish. And so I didn't know how to communicate with him. The guy got scared and he rode off. I sat there laughing. I mean, he can turn a 15-second story into 15 minutes. That's what these guys had now. They had a story. And there's power in stories. People connect with stories. They told that story everywhere the rest of their life. Every time they got, every Friday night to shuffle in when a new guy sat next to him at the bar, they said, hey, let me tell you a story. Every time they went to the family reunion, they are like, man, this is so, let me tell you a story. And every time they told the story, guess who was magnified? Jesus. Man, we got to expect the unexpected. So we're going to do something drastic. We're going to expect the unexpected. I got to get out of here. I'm headed to the beach as soon as this is over. We got to create God's space. Follow me on Facebook for, um, what are they called? I don't know what they're called. Thong pictures this week for me. Speedo pictures. We're going to create some God space. This is the missing ingredient in living life passionately. We leave God out of it. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, they lowered him on the mat, into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Right there in the middle of the crowded space, they made time and room for Jesus. This is what happens to us and why we can't live passionately and why we burn out. Life gets busy, life gets hectic, life goes the way we don't expect it to go. And what's the first thing we cut out because we're running out of time? We don't cut out Netflix. We don't cut out sports. We don't cut out hunting. We don't cut out whatever interest we're into. We cut out God. I, I love him. He says, I don't need church to have a relationship with God. You're right. You don't. Matter of fact, I would venture to say most churches hurt your relationship with God because they preach, preach a false gospel of rules and religion instead of relationship in Christ. Oh, did I say that on Easter Sunday? I'm sorry. But the Bible does say in Hebrews 10.25 that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. There's power in true community. There's power in making time for God. More importantly, it's placing God first on the first day of the week and saying, God, as I go into a new week, you're my priority. I can tell my wife I love her all day long, or I can show her I love her, my actions. We need to create some God space. We need to create some God space. We need to make sure that every day there's time with God. Listen, it might be five minutes, but you ought to be in this book. If the only preaching you get every week is this, you're in bad shape. And it's not just because I'm the preacher. I've told you before, I think the greatest Bible teacher in all the world is Charles Stanley. You can go listen to Charles Stanley every week, and if all you get is Charles Stanley for one hour, and that's all the food you get all week of the Word of God, then you're going to starve to death. By the way, it's not my job to feed you. You're a grown adult. Feed yourself. The Bible says, when I was a babe, I spoke as babe. 
I became a man. I used man words. I, I moved from milk to steak. You ought to be feeding yourself on the word of God. Listen, listen I'm, not, I, I'm not saying you've got to get in this book hours upon hours a day. I get it. But I'm saying, man, you ought to get in this book. Give, give God five minutes. You say, I don't know where to start. Let me tell you where to start. Two places. Start in Proverbs. 31 chapters in Proverbs. Whatever day of the week it is, the 18th of the month, read the 18th chapters. One chapter. Or go to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the first part of the New Testament. And just read about Jesus. Make time for Jesus. Hey, and you know what's amazing is even Jesus made time for God. Look what it says. Very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off into a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. When they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. He didn't care. He didn't care that the crowd needed him at that moment. He knew he needed time with God. You want to add more time to your life? Make time for God. What the Bible says, Proverbs 10, 27, reverence for God adds hours to each day. How does that happen? I, I don't know. It's something about that peace that passes on. When I make time for God, a lot of the things that used to take up my time, the stress, the anxiety, worrying about business, they just go away. As my personal time with God goes, so I go. I told you last week, I think it was, I hate when my wife gets that vibe that I'm on edge, that I'm not right, I'm not clicking. You know how the wives know that, men say amen. And she's like, hey, let me ask you a question. I know what's coming. You and God good? Well, what about me and God? It's my personal time. I'm just asking. She knows. She knows it's God, me go, I go. <laughs> Put God first. Lastly, and we're going to get out of here, we're going to keep a constant reminder. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. I used to always find it interesting why I would tell him to take his mat. He didn't need the mat anymore. He could walk. But sometimes you need a reminder. Because, again, guess what happens? Life happens. Stuff happens. We get busy. We get hectic. And we just need that reminder of how good God has been. Just because this man could now walk did not mean his life became perfect. He still dealt with the same things you and I dealt with. And every time he began to feel overwhelmed, and every time the anxiety kicked in, and every time he felt like, man, I can't handle it, I believe he looked over in the corner and saw that mat and was like, oh, I got this. I got this. <laughs> we need to remember where God's brought us from. You need to remember where God's brought you from. I'll never forget where God brought me from. I'll never forget the day I gave my life to Christ. I was living for myself. I was living by my rules, living what I wanted to do, when I wanted to do it, had no hope for the future, and God radically changed my life. And I've never been the same. I know how bad I am with Christ, I couldn't imagine what I'd be like without Christ. I could ask for stories all day long and people could stand up and talk about the goodness of God and where he's brought them from. We need to remember those. I hear preachers say, forget about your past. Don't ever forget about your past. If you forget about your past, you repeat your past. Don't live in the past. Don't forget about it. Learn from it. Huh. I'm done right here. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had, been laying, and went home praising God. 
That word immediately is powerful. Because today, right this moment, you can make the decision to start making the most out of life. It's not a process. You don't need a class. I don't need to coach you on it. You make the decision that you're going to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. And that you're going to grab this gift called life. And you're going to milk every second of it. You're going to quit looking for it through the next high, the next drunk, the next relationship. And you're going to live life because life is freaking amazing. Think about this day. You got up today. It's beautiful today. You live in a country where you got to come and worship God today. You'll leave here today. Some of you will go out and play golf on a beautiful piece of land. Some of you will go home and have a beautiful meal with your family. Some of you, me, will get in the car and drive to the beach where I can lay out in a thong speedo all week long and soak up God's awesomeness and send you pictures. Oh, and by the way, let me go ahead and get this disclaimer out of the way. I'm leaving today, but I'll be back for church next Sunday. Don't be laying at you, bunch of slackers. I ain't telling y'all that. Y'all need to know what beach I'm at because I don't want to see y'all there. Listen, what do we do? We live passionately. We do something drastic. We expect the unexpected. We make God space. We keep a constant reminder. That'd be a good place to take out your phone, take a picture of it. That way it can be your reminder of what you need to do. Life is awesome. We serve a God who conquered death. He rose from the grave. And he didn't raise from the grave for most people to live unhappy. He rose from the grave where we can have life and have it to the fullest. Let's pray.